Welcome to Writer Spark, the podcast with tips and tricks about fiction writing. I'm your host, Melissa Bourbon, national bestselling author, developmental fiction editor, writing coach, instructor, and founder of Writer Spark Academy. Wherever you are on your writing path, Writer Spark has tips, tricks, and lessons for fiction writers to help you along the way. Today, we're talking about building character tools and tricks for character development. My guest is Leslie Budowitz, who also writes as Alicia Beckman. As Leslie, she writes the Food Lovers Mysteries and the Spice Shop Mysteries. And as her alter ego, Alicia, she writes suspense. So grab a cup of something tasty, settle in, and get ready to ignite your writer spark. Welcome, Leslie Butterwitz, who also writes as Alicia Beckman. Leslie, I'm so glad to have you here. Welcome. It's a delight. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. So uh, I'd like to start by getting a little bit of background about you. So you write several different series, first of all. You write the Spice Shop Mysteries, which sounds so fun. I love that whole concept. And then you also write the Food Lovers Village Mysteries. And then as Alicia, you write Suspense. Is that correct? That's right. I started, actually, I started with um, nonfiction, my very first book, was uh, called Books, Crooks, and Counselors, How to Write Accurately About Criminal Law and Courtroom Procedure. And obviously, it's a guide for writers. I am a lawyer here in Montana, and I am also uh, a veteran of practice in Washington State. So um, I was part of writers groups online and, well, actually, in person before online became a thing. And other writers were asking me questions about using the law in their fiction. For example, this character is related to this character in this way. How can she inherit? Uh, my character wants to get a search warrant. How? What's that process? Who is Miranda and why are we always warning her? And that sort of thing. So I wrote, uh, I was writing columns for authors' newsletters and eventually borrowed the idea from a man many of us know in the mystery community, Doug Lyle, who is a medical doctor and mystery writer who wrote a book about uh, medical and forensics questions for writers. And I wrote uh, books, crooks, and counselors for, for writers to help people understand not publishing law, but the the criminal law and the courtroom procedure, some related aspects of civil law, what it's like to be a judge, that sort of thing. And um, that really was my publishing entree into the mystery world, although I'd been a member of groups and around the community for a few years before that came out. Then I started, then I got the opportunity to publish uh my first cozy series with Berkeley, and that's the Food Lovers Village Mysteries. They are set in a lakeside resort community on the road to Glacier National Park in northwestern Montana, and all resemblance to my hometown of Big Fork is purely intentional. Although, of course, I did change names and move things around so I could kill people. And people here, and it's, it's a very small town, and people here have just been really, really delighted with that. And some of them even are in the books, uh, usually as a result of uh, uh, buying character naming rights at a charity auction. That's a fun thing to do. There are five full-length books and a short story collection called Carried to the Grave. And that's contemporary short stories involving the villagers and a historical prequel set back in 1910. And that was great fun to write. I also write oh, the Spice Shop Mysteries, as you mentioned. There are six of those so far. You can see 
peppermint barked the Christmas number uh, over my shoulder. And there will be at least one more in that series. Cross your fingers for more after that. They are set in Seattle, uh, where my main character runs a spice shop in Pike Place Market. I went to college in Seattle and I fell in love with the market as a 17-year-old, just made it my mission to eat my way through the place. And fortunately, that mission will never be done because it's constantly changing. Uh, and that obviously is another uh, another cozy series where my main character, whose name is Pepper, uh, uses her knowledge of spice and the community to solve crime. Those are great fun and I love writing them, but I had other stories to tell too that didn't quite fit in that vein. And so I switched names to Alicia Beckman, a name that honors my mother and grandmother, and started writing Suspense. There are two Alicia standalones out. Uh, the first is Bitterroot Lake, set in northwestern Montana. And over my whatever shoulder that is, you can see Blind Faith, which came out in October of 2022. And that one um, is set largely in Billings, Montana, where I grew up, but also uh, in other places around the state and in Portland, Oregon. And that one was was really great fun to write. Um, two women whose paths crossed as teenagers in Montana discover that they hold keys to a deadly secret that exposes uh, a killer and could change everything that they thought they knew about themselves and their families. And it was, it was, as I say, a lot of fun to write. We're really similar in the fact that we have our cozy series, and then I have some more traditional mysteries, but then I also have two uh, romantic suspense or mystery oh. suspense novels as well. I have these other stories to tell. And personally, I don't like to sort of live in that dark place, so I'm pretty much done with them. But they are two of my favorite books, actually. It is really great, I think, to feel the freedom to tell other kinds of stories and a variety of stories, even at the same time that we uh, are drawn to one kind of story, we might be drawn to another as well. I wouldn't say that my suspense are really dark, but they are certainly moodier and certainly uh, don't have the, the fun and food focus as, as both your cozies and mine do. Right. Yeah. It's uh also difficult to, I have found anyway, to transfer readership. So people that read cozies by and large are not easily going to transfer to read the suspense novels and vice versa. It's been, I, I will say that it's been easier for me to identify and reach the cozy audience than to identify and reach the suspense audience just because I think it is less um, defined. It is is more dispersed. Yeah, the cozy audience is a very tight knit community, and we have all of these different Facebook groups and you know social media ways to um, access each other. And so, yeah, I think it is a lot more defined and easier to reach them, definitely than the sort of broad mystery reader. All right, so we are going to talk about building character. You have tools and tricks for character development, which is a subject that I love to talk about. Uh, Character-driven stories, I think, are you know the, the 
the way to go, the most popular type of stories, especially when you're talking about series, because I think that characters are the things are that characters bring people back into a story over and over and over and over again, which yeah. is, yeah. you know, the point of a cozy series. Yeah. So we have the the hook, right? The spice shop or the food lovers village. But really, it's the characters that people are coming back for. So I'm very excited to talk about this subject with you. Well, you're absolutely right. It is the characters who keep us reading a series. When you talk to someone about a series they've read, they don't start by talking about the plot. They start by talking about about the characters. And for me, um, as a writer, the plot comes out of the characters. And so what I think I'll talk about today are uh, some general ideas about characters and how they develop, and then a couple of uh, tools that that I use for developing your characters a, a little bit more deeply. As you say, the heart of every story is the character. For me, that's true no matter what kind of fiction it is, whether it's crime fiction, romance, women's fiction, mainstream novels, and especially in what's sometimes called literary fiction. And I'm referring, of course, to the, the type of story, not to the, the quality of writing. The best plots flow from the characters. Even in mysteries and thrillers where the plot is so important, where it's really, really got to be tight and really wrap up uh, well, where the plot is critical to the the success of the the story, it's the characters who are the key. And as we were saying, when you tell someone about a book, you don't say it's about a bomb that you say there's this woman who... We start with the characters, right. and that's that's what uh, readers remember when they fall for series as well. So, one of the the frequent topics of conversation among writers is whether you're a plotter or a pantser. And I want to say that the things I am going to talk about today apply regardless of how you build your story. I consider myself a planner. I recently heard the word planter or um, plotster. And I guess that works too, because uh, it's certainly not a, a, it's not an absolute process and it changes with every book. We've had a lot of conversations about that very topic of, are you a pantser? Are you a plotter? Are you some combination of both? And I, I think that probably the majority of people fall somewhere in the middle on that spectrum of plotter versus pantser. You have to plot somewhat or plan somewhat. I agree with you that most of us are a blend of of planning and pantsing, and that's what makes it fun. So tell me why you start with the characters and why you feel they're so important to the, the early development of a story. So I think characters are crucial to the early development of the story because what we're getting after is an emotional experience. Readers read as much for an emotional experience and to learn about the world as they do for entertainment or for anything else. Um, And it's that emotional core of the character that we've got to get to, whether we get to it by thinking about the character, taking them for walks in the woods, or whether we get to them by writing. we, we get to them in all those ways, I think. We discover what what is really driving the, the characters. What are their needs and their desires, their problems, their struggles? Um, those central emotional conflicts are, are really uh, 
are really the key, I think, to knowing what a character will do. Because what we've got in story is we've got a character who wants something and then they run into an obstacle. And sometimes it's it's something that exists in the world, but sometimes it's something somebody else wants. So we've got our main character who wants this thing and the antagonist who wants this other thing, and they're gonna run into each other. It's each character having that, that path where they want something and they run into an obstacle. And so they have to make a decision and choose to go in another direction or choose other action, perhaps a a change in, in what they had expected. And that happens over and over between all our characters. And that's what moves the story forward. So we have to know or find out uh, what is really, really driving the the character. And, And really this is a right brain process of discovery, not a left brain process of decision-making I get to that point, and and I think a lot of writers do through some forms of pre-writing by making notes, uh, by figuring out what might happen, uh, thinking about the place, thinking about the other characters and the interactions between them. Finding out who these characters are, our imaginary friends, really is the most fun part of the process. So when you're planning a book, especially in your cozy mystery series, uh you know, your sleuth, your main character, your protagonist is generally speaking, responding to what the antagonist is laying down. So do you tend to start with your antagonist when you're planning a new book? Or do you think of, okay, here's a victim and there's a crime and now who could have committed it? What's your process for, for sort of developing the characters in each new cozy that you write? With a cozy, as with with any kind of series, you've got your continuing characters. And I start, I think, with that and with the setting and um, and some sort of scenario. And sometimes it's easier to come up with a scenario than than other times. Sometimes you just have to follow the characters around for a while and try to figure out what they're they're going to do. Sometimes you know who the antagonist in in Mystery of the Killer is right up front. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes they emerge. When I was writing Crime Rib, which is the second Food Lovers Village mystery, I knew the bad guy and I knew his relationship to the the dead man. And I knew his motivation. I knew what he wanted. I knew why he had come to this town and I knew why he was after this guy it went back to to uh, an experience in the past when they had both worked in the same restaurant for a famous chef. Um, and our bad guy is now the, the uh, host of a TV food show. And he's come to this town to, to film uh, an event. And as I was working on either the outline or the first draft, I'm no longer sure which, I realized that I had it wrong that he would not kill to get what he wanted. He needed this man to be alive in order to get what he wanted. And yet the man was dead. And so what was I going to do about that? Well, I looked around and looked at the other characters and saw that my killer was there all along. Very often you'll find that your subconscious has planted the people that you need. And that's one of the fun things about uh, a cozy because the cozy is so dependent on the community. You've got people who are in and out of the community, whether it's the spice shop or your village or 
the coffee house community and Cleo Coyle's coffee house mysteries. You've got the, these people who might naturally come in and out. And so you've got a lot of options that way. Okay. So in terms of pre-writing, let's hypothetically say that you are starting a brand new book. That's not part of a series, maybe uh, one of your standalone uh, suspense books. What is your pre-writing process for discovering your characters, particularly your protagonist and your antagonist, since those are the ones that you're really starting with. So how do you go about building them? That's a great question. Usually I have a general idea what the the storyline is going to be, kind of a very general idea. For example, with Blind Faith, I knew that I... Uh, was going to set it largely in Billings, where I grew up, and I knew that it was going to involve a couple of incidents that had happened when I was in high school. Well, I'll tell you very, very briefly the origin story. When I was a senior in high school at this small, not exclusive Catholic high school uh, in a medium-sized town, um, we had a new girl in class, and that was really unusual. 75 kids in a class, you didn't usually get a new kid senior year. But there was a new girl, and I, I drove her home one Friday in September, and she lived with her mother or her grandmother and her little sister in a cinder block motel on the edge of downtown. And that was very unusual to me. And this was this was 1976. And uh I never saw her again. Every so often, every few years, I wondered who was she? What had happened? Where had she gone? And I knew I would never know unless I told myself the story. Unless I wrote the story uh, my, myself, I would never have an answer to that question. Uh, now, I was about six weeks into the process of writing the book when it occurred to me that probably her grandmother didn't have the $300 for tuition and she had transferred to a public high school, but I'm a crime writer and that train had left the station. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so interesting how something from the past can just trickle up and end up being a major plot for your book. Just this one little nugget of an idea that, you know, happened however many years ago and yet it surfaces. And I love that. I have so many moments like that myself. Uh, you know, that this little things that I remember for no apparent reason, but, you know, they come up at an opportune moment and suddenly I have the, the beginning of a plot. I love that. But that's a very interesting story. And the way you describe it, that Cinderblock motel, I mean, it, it's just perfectly set up for a story like yours. I think that those nuggets are are key. And those are the stories that we are going to be most passionate about those those memories that have been that you've been hanging on to those glimpses of insight that you've had those are the things that are really going to be the most interesting for you as a writer and that's going to make the most interesting for your readers to explore those now there's no cinderblock motel in this book i gave it a different uh, a different setting a little bit I also knew that there was going to be a priest in the book. Why? I don't know. I just knew I needed to write a book about a priest. And I knew a story. Um, and, and this is this is the the 
the gathering of threads that ultimately get woven together. And this is this is another part of the fun of, of writing. I knew a story about a priest in another Montana community who had been murdered. And his um, his body has, I, I think, still not been found. Uh, but a pile of clothing was found, including his wallet, nothing disturbed. And then uh, shortly after that, a few days later, in another part of the valley, his car was found. Um, and this was many years ago, but I had heard the story. And I, it's still not solved 30, 35 years later. I know that the, the sheriff's office believes it's related to uh, a sad fact in, in the Catholic Church, the, the pedophilia. And they had, they had some good reason to believe that. I did not want to write that story. I did not want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. I had no interest in writing it. Didn't think I could say anything new about it. So what other secrets might a priest have that would lead to his murder? It, it's not a spoiler to say that the murder victim in this, this old murder uh, in blind faith is, is of the priest. The priest that my two main characters knew when they were, were teenagers in high school. Um, so I, I do want to stress the book has nothing to do with pedophilia, but there is a murdered priest. And so what other secrets were there? Dive into those secrets. What other secrets might surround these people? And as characters started to, to come in uh, to the story, I started to learn more about them. I took a workshop with Don Moss, who is an agent and teacher and has written a number of really terrific books on writing, and I, I recommend them all. But what he said to me, he said, let your character go on a rant. With rants, when you get going, kind of like I'm going right now, you've got something driving you, something you really want to say. There's something that is on your character's mind. And so when Don Moss suggested that my main character, Aaron, was not really coming to life, she wasn't really driving the story, he said, let her go on a rant. And he meant it as an exploratory tool, something that I would just write out for myself. Well, it ended up being the opening of the book. And it brought personality and character out onto the page. It set up a conflict between this young woman who is, has come home to the town where she grew up to take over the family's business, which is struggling. She's got a conflict with her mother. You can imagine that easily, right? Mother and daughter running a family business together. There's all kinds of potential for conflict right there on the, on the first few pages because of this rant. So that's a tool that I think is a really great way to get into what matters to, to your characters. And you've probably used that one a time or two as well. Yeah, and I use letter writing as well. So writing a letter from you know the antagonist to whoever, the protagonist to whoever, to kind of explore those deeper emotions and something that's never going to end up on the page. But a rant, for example, I think it helps to set your character up to be a very proactive character, an active character in their story, a decision maker in the story. And I think yes. that that's often why a character falls flat is because they're more passive and, this, and things are happening to them rather than the fact that they're making things happen. And if they're having a rant, 
you know, and you go through that process, then you're really discovering what they're passionate about and what's going to drive them forward, what's going to help them make those decisions that push the plot. So I think that's a great tool. That's exactly right. And this point about driving the the action is is so important. Your main character has to be driving the action. In that first draft of Death El Dente, which went on to win the Agatha Award for Best First Novel, um, the action was really being driven by the mother, not by the main character. And that rant helped me change that dynamic and find what she was passionate about and, and really, really push things there and put her at the center of the page, at the center of the story. I think that's often why the secondary characters sometimes really come alive, those sidekicks that are quirky, you know, because those quirky qualities or the zaniness or, you know, whatever, the grandma Mazer, you know, for example, they they have very clear personalities and things that drive them to be the way they are. And they're kind of uh, encapsulated in this, you know, quirky sidekick character. But, but I think that's what it's all about. It's that, you know, they can rant because they're so specifically defined in their role. And the sleuth, you know, we're, we're figuring out who they are in a much broader sense. And so it's harder to identify, I think, those those really strong yeah. personality yeah. traits. That's a good point. And that main character has to do so much on the page. She has to drive the story and solve the crime. She's also got to hold the community together where and she's got to set the tone and the voice. So we're asking her to do a lot. And, and the more, more of it we can get down in the first draft, great, but don't worry about that so much because those are the things that you can come back to in, in later drafts, just as long as you're aware that this main character really needs to be, to be active and eventually uh, you'll find her, her point of view. I love your idea about the letter writing between the antagonist and the protagonist. The antagonist can be some of the most difficult characters to get to know. And I think it's really important to think about them early and to think about their motivations. Um, everyone's heard the, the line, everyone's a hero in their own mind. Well, that's certainly true of our antagonists as well. They've got something they want, and this darn good guy is frustrating them by getting in their way. And so it's really important to think about, about those things too. I want to mention free writing because this is another tool that I think is really uh, important and useful for getting at who our characters are. When I was working on Blind Faith, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to, to tell this story. I went to a seminar and I wasn't very interested in the seminar. And I was sitting in the back. It was probably a continuing legal education seminar. And I was thinking about the story I was starting to write instead. And that happens sometimes. Uh, and all of a sudden, this character, Father Mike Leary, started talking to me. And, um, you know, I kept it focused on the page and didn't let anyone else know that there was a voice in my head that wasn't necessarily my own. But I sat there in the back of the seminar and started writing out about this character. It was just amazing all the things that came to me. I had known a little bit about him, but that was the day, that was the 20 minutes when Mike Leary started to come alive. And I learned who his, his childhood best friend was. The woman, he, the girl in, in his childhood whom he had loved, who became 
an important figure later. Both these, the best friend and the woman became important figures later. And there was another character who kind of lurked on the edges and I realized that's somebody else to explore. I didn't do it right then, but I explored it later and that eventually revealed itself to be the antagonist and the killer. And, but understanding why and understanding the origins of these characters came out of that free rant when I just let this man tell me his story, why he became a priest, what his family was like, about his best friend, about the girl they both loved. So you would say that free writing is another one of your tools then for building character? I do think it's a really great tool. You're going to need to know a little bit about your story before and your characters before you can get to that point where it's really useful, I think, because if you start too soon trying to do the rant or the the letter writing you described or the free writing, um, you're going to tend, I think, to do too much decision making and not enough letting the subconscious flow and tell you who these people are. You need to get to know them a little bit. Think about if you were meeting a friend for coffee, the first time you meet, the conversation's a little awkward because you don't know each other all that well. But the second or the third time, the conversation starts to flow more easily. Right. As you either find commonalities or conflicts, which are going to feed that connection. Um, yes. So when you were writing, when you were doing that free writing in the back of that conference, did that come out in third person or in first person? Oh, interesting question. Um, it was first person. Okay. And the character actually appears in the book in close third. Uh, there are several point of view characters and they are all third person. But when I wrote that rant, uh, that, that uh, free write in Mike Leary's voice, it was him telling me who he was. Okay, interesting. So he really is kind of in your head and you're just channeling him on the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Now, not everything he told me made its way into the story, of course, but uh, it all shaped who he, who he became in, in the story. And it, it shaped that conflict and it pointed me to, to the killer and his motive. Of course, I learned more things later, but the key things came out that day. And I think that's really important to note, especially for aspiring writers, new writers, people who are sort of more at the beginning of that writing process, that not everything you write needs to end up on the page, but everything you write and as you develop these characters, all of those nuances and all of those details really inform how they come alive on the page. So all of those details might not make it on, but the fact that you know this, uh, you know, character was abused or, you know, killed a cat or whatever, you know, whatever dark things are in their past, all of those details might not end up on the page, but the fact that they went through that and it affects their psyche is going to end up in, in how you represent them on the page. So all of that sort of front-loading character yes. work, I think is so vital to making layered complex characters, which are the kind of characters we want to read about. We don't want flat characters. We want complex characters. Absolutely. I like how you're putting that. It's also important if you're envisioning a series. So for example, when I started the Food Lovers Village Mysteries, I knew that my main character, Erin, had an older brother and sister. And her sister shows up in the first couple of books. But we don't know anything more about her brother 
except his name and his occupation. He's a wolf biologist and his order in the family because we don't need to. And I didn't know more until book three, Butter Off Dead, when Nick comes back to town and becomes a bigger part of the story. That's when I learned more about him. So you don't need to know all about all your characters. Just trust that uh, if you give your characters a family, they'll come back later when you need them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you want that. You want there to be little breadcrumbs that you're dropping along the way over the course of a series so that you have growth within a single book, but also growth over the entire series for that character. Yes. Yes. Another example is in my Spice Shop series where the main character is working in Pike Place Market. She's new to the market, even though she's been coming there since she was a kid. She is a new business owner there. And so she's getting to know the place. And so if you create that, uh, if you give your main character an opportunity to be curious, a reason to be curious about the community, then that gives you many ways for them to explore crimes or to ask questions uh, as the story progresses. If you if you give them a community that they are getting to know or getting to be deeper involved in. Yeah, that is so true. I, I want to ask you something. So are you, uh, did you ever read Agatha Christie and, you know, Philip Marlowe and all of those older kind of mysteries? Sure, sure. Um, I think Agatha Christie was the gateway drug for a lot of us. Maybe the first adult mystery we read after after uh, the Bobsy Twins and the Happy Hollisters yeah. and Nancy Drew. Oh my gosh, the Happy Hollisters. Yeah, if you think about it, they're mysteries. And they were always so much fun. Yeah, no, I forgot. I mean, I, we talk about the Bobsy Twins and Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, but I haven't heard the Happy Hollisters mentioned for a long time, but I did read those books. Funny. Um, but my question is, how do you think characters are different now than the characters in the Agatha Christie books? Because, you know, to me, there's this huge shift of even our sleuths who who change and grow. They have growth arcs and we have Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple who are essentially the same people from the very first book to the very last book. I mean, they might have yes. little things that happen in their lives, but you know, the mysteries are more important than the sleuths. Whereas now I would say the sleuths in the type of books that we write are more important almost, or at least equal to the mystery itself. So there's been a big shift. I think you're you're absolutely right. We can see some of that development of character and the character arc um, in Dorothy Sayers' Peter Whimsey series, because when we first meet Peter and Harriet Vane, uh, he's kind of a fop. He is is uh, a younger son of an earl post-World War I, trying to figure out what he's going to do with himself. He falls in love with this woman who has really no interest in him because she's on, on trial for murder. And uh, he solves the crime and then sets about to, to win her heart as well. And we do see some growth and development in those characters in a way that we don't see in uh, Hercule Poirot or Jane Marple. Certainly not as much as we would see now. And this is one of the reasons why I think that the modern mystery, particularly the traditional mystery of which the cozy is, is one 
subset um, is so appealing to readers. It's the perfect delivery system for what we want right now. We want a solid plot in an interesting place with characters who grow and develop, people we are interested in. And we want it to entertain us, but we also want it to give us a personal experience, an emotional experience, and show us something about the world. And if you look at um, the the cozy and and the traditional mystery today, writers are doing amazing things that that really feed a reader's interest, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think that it's definitely a, a great transition that we've gone through. And I'm so glad that we get to write characters that are much more developed and um, much more interesting, I think, to write, too, because we get to explore. Like you said, it's the emotions. You know, that's what resonates with readers. But as a writer, too, I want to connect with the characters that I'm writing and I want to explore who they are and what makes them the way they are and have that growth. So for me as a writer, it's a much more interesting experience, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, can we sum up uh, a couple of the tools that you use then to develop your characters? Sure. We talked about we talked about rants and free rights, and you gave us the suggestion of a letter from one character to another. And I like all three of those because they let our subconscious work. And I'm going to suggest to, to the writers here that you do this writing by hand, not on your keyboard. There is research that establishes that when you write by hand, there's a direct connection from the, the center of your brain, from the emotional center in your brain, to what you're working on. It's not filtered in a way that happens when you type or, or use a computer. And I'm not sure why that is. I don't know the research in any detail, but I know from my own experience that it's true. You just get to a deeper place, a freer place when you write by hand that way, even if you struggle to read it later. Um, I'm going to mention one of my other favorite topics. I really didn't talk about it today, but it fits with what you and I have have uh, focused on, and that is emotional research. Sometimes a character has an experience that you yourself haven't had. And so you need to think about people who have had it. You need to do some research into it. And so, for example, in Death El Dente, Aaron, my main character, is 33 when the story starts. She lost her father in a hit-and-run accident when she was 17. Well, I was 30 when my father died. That's a much different experience. So what I did was sit down again with a a pen and notebook, do this by hand, and think about all the people I knew who had lost a parent at a young age. And I wrote out everything I remembered, whether it was a big detail or a small detail, just to get access to that experience. I talked to friends who had had that experience or who who um, in, in one case uh, had lost her, her husband when her teenagers, when her kids were teenagers. Um, and I looked up uh, school counseling guides for teachers and counselors dealing with kids in this situation. And I, I tried to understand the, the situation and see that there could be multiple different ways of responding. But that emotional research, I think, is, is really uh important because our characters are sometimes going to have 
had experiences that we haven't had. And we want to really understand what that is for them and what that leads them to do. Yeah. And that goes back to understanding the antagonist and and understanding things about your different characters that may not end up on the page, but it's informing us as writers to those nuances of who they are. So I think that's a great point. And then also, I think that, uh, you know, it's easy to write in cliches. And so by spending the time to do some of that emotional research, we are trying to get to a more authentic emotion that these characters might be experiencing. And there isn't, like you said, there isn't one way a person's going to feel, you know, you might process grief in this way and somebody else is going to process grief in an entirely different way. Both are authentic versus the cliche where, you know, everybody processes grief this way. And so that's how I'm going to write it. So I think that emotional research really, again, helps us to get to the complexity of the characters and authentic characters. So I think that's a great, great tip. I like that. I like that a lot. And it leads me to think of another thing I sometimes mention to people, which is, um, uh, a list of 10 things your character might do. The, you, you think about what your character might do next and you think about one thing and you think about two things and you think about three things. Well, those first three things are probably going to be the cliches. They are going to be the, the reactions or the actions that people commonly take. Keep going, get to that 10th thing, that 10th, yeah. that eighth, that seventh, those are go- going to be the less common, the more interesting and the more particular to your to your character such a great tip that reminds me of uh, an assignment that my one of my sons had in college he was an advertising major and uh, one of the assignments was to come up with ad ideas and they had to each come up with a hundred ideas and it was for that very reason that the first many that people come up with are going to be the ones that everybody comes up with. Those are going to be the cliches. Those are going to be the the simple, you know, ones that are not very interesting or not pushing the envelope at all. And so they had to work and dig deep, really deep to get to a hundred. And that's when those creativity, the, the creative juices and that creativity is really surfacing when you have to dig that deep. So excellent, excellent tool, I think. Thank you so much for being here and talking about some of the tools that you use to develop and build your characters. I think it's been really insightful. My pleasure, Melissa, and thank you for the conversation. You gave me a couple of good ideas. This is one thing I love about doing these chats is that I I feel like we are always learning as people, as writers, and I always come away with a new idea, you know, or more motivated or just inspired to try something different. So I love that. So thank you. That's great. Me too. Uh, real quickly, what do you have coming up next? Um, what uh, is is most recent is Blind Faith by Alicia Beckman. And what is coming up this next summer will be the seventh Spice Shot mystery set in Seattle in the Chinatown International District. And it will be called Beyond a, a, Between a Walk and a Dead Place. That's a great title. <laughs> I love the punny titles. They're so fun. <laughs> titles can titles can be the most challenging sometimes, can't they? Yeah. But also a lot of fun, especially in cozy world. Yeah. My readers are the best. They come up with so many amazing ideas. I could write cozies for years based on the titles that they've come up with. Well, if they want to come up with some with spices, then let me know. I'm happy to have them. 
Oh, uh, hey, I can do that for you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again for being here and good luck on all of your um, upcoming releases and writing as both Leslie and Alicia and happy holidays. Thanks. And the same to you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Make sure you check out the WriterSpark Tea Public store where you can get gifts for the readers and writers in your life. Also, visit the WriterSpark website and YouTube channels. You can find everything about WriterSpark courses, content, and the YouTube channel at www.writersparkacademy.com. Come back for more tips and tricks about fiction writing. I'm Melissa Bourbon. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy writing.